Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today we have a, a new guest, Corina Jimenez. She's a chocolate craft maker in Sanes in South Norway with her project called Choco. She only works with Venezuelan cacao beans. Hi Corina, how are you? Thank you for having me, Eric. What about your project? So you make chocolate in Norway with Venezuelan cacao beans. I've seen that, that you have won a few prizes as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, how I started making chocolate here is Northern Northern Europe, generally, they love milk chocolate, right? So they're not really big fan of dark chocolate, although that has changed in the last year, especially with the trend of, you know, being healthier minder and uh, the vegan movement also, um, or the people that wants to stay away from, from dairy for some reason. So dark chocolate has gained a little bit more traction in the last years, but To me, what it meant is uh, I've been living in this country for 12 years. And as a professional, I was missing the Venezuelan flavors because, as we mentioned before, I was I learned the Venezuelan cacao taste through El Rey, right? And El Rey is a brand uh, that was already talking about percentage. Uh, it was talking about the uh, different variations of cacao butter content in uh, the bars and how this will affect the end flavor. And also they will have different varieties to work with. So as a pastry chef in Venezuela, I would think of a coverture made by El Rey and how it will affect the flavor of the dessert I wanted to develop. So when I moved back, when I moved here, sorry, when I moved here to Norway uh, and as a pastry chef, as a professional, there's only two brands that professionals could go to. And... They had a Venezuelan presence in it, but it was a blend. So the flavors, I'm used to like the carinero beans that I know really well, for instance. Uh, I was missing that. Um, and to me, carinero, it can be very nutty and also very cinnamon or nutmeg. And, and it has this nutty, spicy flavors to it that I was really missing, for instance. So I thought, okay, why not? Let's start <laughs> with making my own chocolate because I miss it. So it was really for selfish reasons. So, <laughs> uh, but then again, I'm living in Norway in the, it's in a very exciting region, which is the area where we grow most of the foods around the country. Uh, so here we have amazing raw products to work with, like strawberries, like mm, apples, like, um, you know, the berries in Scandinavia, they all grow here. Uh, so I started like, okay, now I have to put this on chocolate because this is amazing. And even there's a berry called um, half tone in English and it looks it's very orange it's a bright orange berry and the flavor is very similar to passion fruit so I call it the Nordic passion fruit and most people not also call it like that because it is a very it's very similar so but most regions are so used to the passion fruit that they have forgotten that they have this local delicacy and you will find them in restaurants like Noma or the big gastronomic restaurants that they use it, but not so much in chocolate. So when I put this in chocolate and I said to the Norwegians, ah, this is your berry called, you know, Tinbet. And they're like, what? <laughs> really? Is that ours here? So, so for me, it's a great way to, to make the bridge between both cultures, where I come from and where I'm living now. So most of my bars are, they have that concept. So the, the, the bar that won the, my first award was back in 2017. 
uh, and it was in the Chocolate Awards and it was in the Scandinavian round and I made it with juniper berries and um, and blueberries. I still is one of, <laughs> I have many customers that I love that bar. So if you remember, juniper berries is what gives the flavors to gin. And in here is also used in, in the local cuisine when they make... Um, game, uh, right? Game, exactly. Thank you for helping. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it has this citrusy um, gin-like flavor. And I do have many customers that enjoy gin. And they ask me normally, like, oh, did you actually put gin on the bar? And I'm like, no, it's just a, <laughs> just a juniper berry that doesn't work. Uh, so that that was the inspiration that we're, you know, uh, there's a berry that I found here and I just put it in chocolate because I thought it would go well. Uh, another bar that is my, I would say my best seller is the chili bar. It's a spicy bar, but it's with chili that is grown here in Norway. Norwegians love chili. I mean, they grow many varieties, but the one I buy is a jalapeno, fresh. And uh, it's just so plumpy and red. And it's just, when it's so fresh, it has, you can really see the, the, pepper like the capsicum the sweets yeah uh but then when i dehydrate it and i turn it to powder i have to wear a mask because it's so like it's so strong when you inhale it that yeah i've worked with chili you need to use gloves and and cover <laughs> yeah your, your mouth so uh, but it's it's just a bright orange uh it, you know when i'm i'm making it just like i really enjoy so much the process of, of making it that bar uh, so that is one of my best-selling bars. Uh, I have others that uh, I'm always trying to, you know, to add the local uh, flavors and things. I use Norwegian sea salt also uh, to to add. To oh, the, I love chocolate with yeah. with salt. Yeah. yeah, but I all my recipes have a pinch of salt and pepper just because I also work a lot in the in the kitchen world, and I think that's a great balance to have always. So they always have a proportion of a little bit of sea salt and pepper black pepper to it uh, but here we have amazing local products that i am just so happy to to experiment in chocolate and and chocolate is just a great medium because not only for the sweet side but for the savory side and you know in the old times it was even used as medicine so the limit is yours how you want to um, project on chocolate well i could eat chocolate every day there's no no doubt about it are you working only with with uh, Norwegian or Nordic countries market, or is it possible? Yeah, to- right I'm a very local. I'm not even selling in the whole country. Like mm-hmm. that, my next step because I have many customers that they have moved out or they are like they get they come here for some reason. Because I'm I'm always well before the pandemic, I was always in the markets and. So they go to see my brand and I have many customers that I really want to <laughs> get my bars. But uh, but for me, it has been one step at a time. And uh, so my next step is the online sales. Uh, but definitely starting in Norway. Uh, exports also in Norway, as you can imagine, is not as straightforward. And there's many things to consider. But right now, I'm a, I'm a very local maker. <laughs> but I'm really happy to, to be part of the local food scene because here we have amazing um, brewers, coffee roasters, uh, cheese makers, bakers. Christina told me she she happened to try one of your chocolates in a beer, in a brewery. Yes. And it was like a chocolate with beer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a stout style beer that is made here by Lervik. Uh, it's also a well-known Norwegian 
beer in the craft beer environment. Um, they have this amazing uh, stout style that they infuse with vanilla, cacao, and tonka beans. So the beer in itself is already like a delicious dessert. Yeah, I've had this kind of, kind of beers and, and they work really well. And, and as you say, you, you can pair a, the, a dessert with that and, and it's amazing. Sure. So I decided, okay, I'm going to infuse uh, cacao with this and make chocolate out of it. And, and, and they loved it. And we had this amazing uh, collaboration between the two brands. So, and uh, it's been also great to, to get to talk to them and jam ideas with them because they, you know, as craft makers, they're also passionate about their raw products, about customers. They have this great philosophy um, of labels that are so original and out there. Flavors also, they are like making amazing flavor beers all the time. So uh, collaborations are a great way to, to grow as a professional and get connections locally it's very nice and the chocolate you made it also had beer or, or it just went with the beer i do take their beer and i infuse it for a month yeah because there's ways to, other chocolate makers they will have the beans in the barrels and infused by just the smell like getting the aromax to it but to me uh, as a chef also i do have that i like the flavors to feel strong like they really hit you you know so when i say chili bar is chili when i say juniper <laughs> is juniper you feel the flavor so for me the challenge of the beer was like i want people to bite into the bar and feel that they're drinking the beer so i infuse it with the actual beer uh so so yeah it, it I was happy with the result and, um, you know, the stout anyway, they do have this chocolate texture and flavor to it. So it's kind of like a match made in heaven, basically. <laughs> so it is a nice, uh, a nice product to do, to work with. Um, I do infuse also with rum. I have one with rum that I do with Santa Teresa also. Uh, and I had it with candied orange skin. That is also popular among the people. Then when you start creating crazy things, then you get the different crowds that are drawn to those flavors. So that bar attracts a crowd that is into whiskey or cognac. <laughs> so then they enjoy that one. Uh, pairing, pairing also this kind of spirit drinks with chocolate is amazing. Like a good whiskey with chocolate or a good rum. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have a, uh, I do also a big part of my business is to do chocolate tasting because I am the first chocolate maker in the region and uh, people like I said people was used to the supermarket chocolate so I had to explain what is craft chocolate and uh, chocolate tastings had been a great window to do that uh, and I I'm a very social person. I enjoy talking, as you can see. <laughs> so, so for me, it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, pair chocolate with something that people enjoy already. So I have made, you name it, I have made uh, coffee and chocolate pairings. I have made beer and chocolate pairings, um, whiskey and rum, uh, obviously with diplomatic. <laughs> uh, that was a big success, that tasting some years ago. Um I do all the tastings just to show people that, you know, chocolate 
pairs well with almost everything. Uh, one with uh, one crowd was really pleased when I did the cheese and beer tasting. They didn't expect that one. Chocolate and cheese goes super well. Uh, I re I remember trying a, a dessert uh, that uh, was a light blue cheese with chocolate. And you couldn't feel the funkiness of the blue cheese because at the end of the day, you just had the dairy and a, and a very strong flavor that, that went really complementary to the cacao flavor. So Again, we have a cheese maker here that she is amazing. It's a lady, a Norwegian girl that she has also award-winning cheese. And uh, I use her blue cheese. Uh, and it's just... The creaminess, the you know, the saltiness, and then and then you get the funkiness from the fermentation and on, on the fungus in the cheese that goes well with the, you know, the coverture. I one I think it goes best with, and and it's just another level of craziness. And then it goes on the saltier area, but somehow you know also it awakens all the flavors within the chocolate that you didn't think it were there. So so pairings are fun, and, and it's definitely a way to just just enjoy chocolate in a new dimension. This is a relatively like a new thing. I remember when, when I lived in Venezuela about 17 years ago, I left. Nobody was talking about being to bar, uh, also not like in the gastronomy world. I think that like this, uh, that th this movement boosted perhaps a few years later, perhaps in the beginning of the 2010s. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I actually encountered you know, the concept of being to bar, even though it wasn't that name, it was around 2005 when I visited for the first time or I visited a micro chocolate workshop, um, which is what Cacao Virongo, uh, Flor de Virongo. And that didn't have that name, being to bar, because we're talking about 2005, but that is what it was. So this uh, Empresas Polar, the private initiative of them to empower the local cacao producer women of Virongo, Uh, in Barlovento. Virongo is the, the village or the region? It's a village, it's a village within Barlovento. So Barlovento has many small village, villages and then Virongo uh, is one of them. Uh, and it has a, a big cacao tradition as all Barlovento also. And then um, they, Empresas Polar, what they did was they were empowering the local women that were producing cacao. So they provided them uh, a proper place to do their chocolate. So and also they provided a chocolate uh, a chocolatier from Switzerland to support them with the recipes development and everything. So this uh, factory, yeah, was tiny, uh, but it had everything. So they had they will come with the cacao dried, and the the first thing you will encounter was the the roasting process, and then there will be the shelling process, the winnowing. Uh, and then all you will see everything right until the bar. So, and then in the end, you will meet the ladies that were packing the final product, and you will leave with your already with your ready wrapped bar. So that was right there, but it didn't have that name. So uh, Venezuela has been pioneering <laughs> right from the beginning, but it's just been very modest about it. Sometimes I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, what can you tell us about making? craft chocolate in Norway with uh, Venezuelan cocoa beans. Uh, how, how is the whole process of uh, importing the cocoa beans? I, I mean, the, 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 there is a lot of things that, that has to happen in the process. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, to start with, I am what is called actually a nano batch maker. So I work with micro lots. 
Uh, so I don't buy by the tons yet. <laughs> Hopefully, eventually that will be the case. But um, so that being said, I need um, an intermediary to help me. And I do work with a person in Amsterdam uh, that is also Venezuelan. And she used to work also in the chocolate industry back home. So to me, it was the perfect link. It's called Gaia Cacao. And uh, they provide me with all the info from the farms and, and the beans that I need. So basically, she or they are the only link between me and the farmer in Venezuela. And what means for me is as a small maker, then uh, they do all the process of the import to Europe. And then for me, it's much easier just to transfer from, from the Netherlands to to Norway, because Norway also has another issue that everything is far from here. <laughs> so <laughs> even if you're shopping online from, um, you know, other big uh, browsers, then it's always like, yeah, we ship everywhere except Norway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's always the shipping is always an issue in any branch. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to, to have to, to be able to work with this uh, company in, in Netherlands. I, of course, I come from Venezuela, same as you. And uh, I know the the importance uh, that the Venezuelan cacao has worldwide. You will see the in the biggest brands, you will see Venezuelan varieties and everybody talks uh, about Venezuela cacao beans. So what, what, what can you tell us about that, about the quality of the cacao, about the reputation it has, about the varieties? Well, you know, we could be here all night talking <laughs> about this. It's a, it's a tradition that goes right for 100 years back. So it's a lot to say, but definitely it, it is a reputation well deserved. Most brands, European brands, will, will brag and be proud to show in their um, packaging Venezuela as an origin among their cacao collection, let's say. It, it was well established with the um, Compañía Wipuscuana, that was the purpose of that before the oil bonanza in Venezuela, that was only to trade cacao and coffee. And from that time, uh, all the reputation has been crazy. Uh, it was, I guess, the first origin that was... Mm, differentiated from the bulk cacao. So it, it allowed us to be tasted with traceability, I would say. So that made it possible for, instead of trying blends and just have a, a, a bland taste of chocolate, it made it possible for people to try a cacao that was coming from a certain place. Originally, if you look back in the old books, it will refer to Puerto Cabello from Venezuela, because they will give the name of the place that we're shipping from. Basically, not necessarily the name of the actual uh, farm. So yeah, you will see in the old books that they will refer to Puerto Cabello Cacao, um, and that would be, you know, the Venezuelan origin. So that opened the door for us, for, for people, as I said, to taste um, traceability, as we refer to it today. So that built our reputation based on, you know, and the good flavor and the difference of that flavor compared to the bulk cacao. So that's what happens also when people today start tasting craft chocolate and compare it to, let's call it supermarket chocolate. Uh, that is the first thing that hooks us into this world is the flavor, is when you experience that in your palate, that you feel all this journey of, of sensations and things that you haven't tasted in chocolate before. And that's where, you know, the most sweet of the addictions starts, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a dark addiction. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I I I also mentioned in the in the chocolate episode we did before. I as a young chef, I, I very shortly made an internship in Cacao, which was Maria Fernanda de Jacob's chocolate shop. And we only work with uh, chocolates el rey, so I'm I'm quite familiar with with those chocolates. I wanted to ask you: Do you know about the? Perhaps you know this better than I do about the influence of Maria Fernanda, what she did in the chocolate scene in Venezuela. Sure, sure. I mean, we have to so much to thank her. Um, she was caught in this storm, I would say, of the political situation that Venezuela was going through in the 2010s, eight. Yeah, where um, you know we had this amazing cacao history that you know with the years that as we became this oil country, uh, we kind of dropped to the side. And basically our cacao mostly was being sold, even though it was quantity, um, to the big industry, uh, to the bigger producers as mass uh, cacao produce. And uh, when the crisis hits, uh, the exports were the ones that were affected, the big, big companies that were foreign companies, they left. So suddenly all these, uh, well, the, the oil industry was struggling big time and, and, and all the cacao was stuck in the country. It couldn't leave because, you know, the, the traders couldn't get it out and it was all this chaos. So this cacao was basically... Um, Rottening. <laughs> yeah. So, and then what she did is she embraced that under the crisis and said, look, we are stuck in this country with the best cacao <laughs> that we can ever dream of. Let's transform it and make it ourselves instead of, you know, selling everything outside or relying on bigger industries. Uh, well, why let's empower the smaller nanobatch producers. And that's what she did. So she started visiting uh, small producers and teaching them, okay, instead of selling your cacao to the bulk cacao, why don't you process it this way? Then you have a quality cacao that you can sell, you know, to smaller makers that will pay you more, you know. And, and then she started, you know, spreading the word around the country, inspiring people to become better farmers, inspiring students to become chocolate makers. Uh, and then she basically created the local market where Venezuelans will fall in love with their own local product. And in that sense, she created a local pride. She brought the pride again of being a, a cacao country and uh, not only to, to sell, but also to consume. Like Venezuelans are actually big time eaters of chocolate. <laughs> so that makes me really proud too. And it makes me really happy because then you see wonderful people like... Herencia Divina, uh, another local brands that are right now, they just came through my mind, but Herencia Divina, for example, with Miguel Acho, how we call him, he's doing a, a great job. He recently got awarded by the, the Choc Awards. And uh, it's just so nice because he also uh, works with direct with Cacao from Bahia de Cata. And then you see these local uh, connections that they start to make. And, and then suddenly, you know, this amazing exotic cacao that people thought was lost suddenly appears and you're like, wow, in the place there's cacao too. Wow, let's go and try. I want to try a bar made with that. And uh, and it has become of these also uh, sommeliers, let's call it, on, on cacao in Venezuela. Uh, they have developed their own taste wheel. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Like specific to, to Venezuelan cocoa beans. Yeah. So we are developing our own 
tasting wheels based of how our cacao tastes like. And it's just amazing. For those who don't know, a taste wheel is something you usually use like in the wine tasting world. Mm -hmm. Well, you have like the equivalent to a color spectrum, yes. but every single color has a note. So it could be something that you could refer as an aroma. Perhaps it would be lime or berry or tobacco or leather or these kinds of uh, things. Exactly, which is a tool that can be very useful for a chocolate maker that has never worked with that origin before. Is a guide. It's, it's, it's not also it's not a, a square, right? So it's just a guide of the possibilities of this cacao in your hands. So um, that's what a taste uh, a tasting wheel means for me because there's uh, like the roasting and the processing will affect the final flavor too. But what a tasting wheel will tell me about you know, Carenero cacao or about Sur del Lago cacao, which depends on if it's wasare or what type it is in Sur del Lago. Um, it will tell me just the possibilities that I could reach if I work with this type of cacao. It is amazing because it's at least something that you are aiming towards as a chocolate maker. And uh, that is a potential also that you want to understand when you buy the cacao. That is amazing that in the technical data that I, described your beans. It also can go as far as to give you a, some sort of sensorial tasting idea of what you're buying. Uh, and I think that's a great standard for Venezuelan cacao to establish. So, and, and going to the varieties, um, as a kid, I remember going to, to the beaches uh, in Aragua and I would see the, the farmers drying the, the cocoa beans uh, on the sun. And one of those beaches is Chuao, which is at the same time one of the best reputed varieties from Venezuelan cacao. Uh, can you tell us anything about that, about Chuao cacao beans? Sure. Um, I mean, I think that's as a, a journey that I hope everyone related in the chocolate industry can do. Like, take a trip to Chuao and get to know the people. The journey itself is, is magical because you have to go through this uh, jungle. Uh, just go from the city and then go through the mountain, which is the, the, the um, rainforest. Yes. Thank you. The rainforest. You can see monkeys, you can see birds, you know, it's a famous area also for, for bear, birds watching. Uh, so eventually you get to this beautiful sandy place opens up suddenly from all this greenery uh, in front of your eyes. So it's quite, even the journey itself is quite magical. Uh, that Chuao, you can just get there only by boat. Uh, so that makes it super special. Basically, the whole place is the hacienda, right? So the people live actually in the hacienda because when you start walking from the beach right to the center of the town or the village, uh, you are already working through the plantation. And then you see all the trees that cover and, and gives protection to the cacao trees. And then you find mango trees, you have apamates, you have banana trees, you have, uh, you know, all these amazing variety of biodiversity growing around and all the nature that goes to it. And then you're just walking through that right away. Uh, you will see, you will start spotting uh, cacao trees from, yeah, from where I, um, as you walk along. Uh, eventually you get to the center and then, um, you know, you see just the people living there that happen also to work there. And then you see the families, the kids, the women, the men, everyone. It's a way for you to open your eyes and understanding that cacao is not only a commodity or a fruit, but it's also a way of living. It's, we're talking about communities that are affected directly 
by it and for it. So, uh, so I think that is sometimes when we are in Europe, we, we disconnect so much from that. And it's so important because, um, that's the difference we are trying to make. Um, what draws me to the craft chocolate world is the possibility to make a difference for the farmers and for the crops that we try to uh, support the the correct cacao farming that is biodiverse, that will give us in exchange the seeds that taste amazing, that we can make amazing chocolate with it, that also in turn not only makes us happy, but also is good for our bodies, for our children, for the economy. So, so to me, craft chocolate makers, we are trying to catch up with what the specialty coffee makers are doing or the brewers, the beer brewers are doing also now for some years. And uh, so we are a bit late in the craft <laughs> movement making, but uh, at the same time, we are making such a big difference. Uh, it's so nice to be part of this movement. That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. Thank you, Corina Jimenez, for joining the show. You can check out her stuff on shoko.no. That's shoko with X-O-C-O dot N-O. And if you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday 